Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Commercial Property Investor Podcast Show, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. I'm really looking forward to sharing more tips to help property investors take on the commercial property market. It's great to be making my first podcast recording in 2021, and I really want to start by thanking all of you for your support during 2020. It's been a fantastic learning experience for me personally, and I've met some really interesting people along the way. Now, one of our CMO Mastermind customers recently asked me a question. I thought I would share on here. I thought it was a good topic for a podcast. This is a nine-month programme that we run, by the way, and it's to help aspiring commercial property investors learn how to develop and operate commercial multiple occupancy buildings, which is really our niche. The question was, could you share the step-by-step process that you go through when looking at a property and analysing it as a deal? So thanks very much for the question, Gershon. There are a few previous podcasts with deal analysis in the title, so I'm not going to cover all of those materials in depth because you can find them there. I'll tell you in a minute what those podcasts were. But this podcast is more about pulling the various elements together to give you an overall roadmap of what I do, at least, for our typical property acquisition. I'm just going to take you through the step-by-step process I generally use. It will vary on project by project, of course, and it's not a binary process where I complete one step and then start the next one until I finish that and then move on to the next. Some of this will be running simultaneously. So before I start, here in summary are the topics I dealt with before, so you can dip into the previous episodes to build up a fuller knowledge. In episode 13, I talked about how to work out local demand, really to establish whether the building that you're looking at or the model you're looking at is actually going to have any customers. And then in the 15th episode, I talk about operational costs for deals. In other words, what are they likely to cost on a day-to-day basis? So you can build up a picture of the outgoings on a more intensely managed project like the CMOs that we do. And then in episode 17, I covered redevelopment costs for commercial properties. And that was maybe a bit more general, that one. And every project is different, of course, so these prices will vary. Now, this whole topic's based around the purchase and development of existing properties. Some of these steps will still relate to land purchase and new build, but some won't. But unless you're always going to stick to one strategy for the rest of your life, it's always worth keeping your mind open to other ideas. So, just to remind myself, the question was, could you please share the step-by-step process that you go through when looking at property and analysing the deal? Okay, this will vary on what I'm looking at, but let's give this a go. We've identified a property and now we want to work out if this is going to be a goer. When I started out, this process was a bit chaotic because I didn't really know what I was doing, of course. And to be fair, it wasn't so much a process as more of an obsession. <laughs> Once I identified a property I thought had a good potential, I'd then concentrate all my efforts on that particular building 
and forget about looking for others or looking at any other details on any other projects because I thought this is the one I'm going to really make this one work. But I've since learned that that's not always the best strategy. Even when you think you found the one, keep looking and analysing others at the same time. You need to get lots of potential properties into the hopper to speed the process up. Otherwise it'll take a long time until you really do find a project that you're willing to go all the way with. I hear lots of stories of people who are looking to get started in the commercial. They're looking for an office building for themselves or perhaps a building they can take on and sublet space, but they just do it project by project. They look at one, they go through the whole process, the whole process, and then three, four months later realise it's not the right deal or they don't get it, and then they have to start again. You need to run several simultaneously. There are actually two things going on here, of course. One is understanding the opportunity, or as the question asks, analysing the deal. The other is the timing of the communications with the other side, so kind of the process of negotiation. And I'm going to try and cover both as I go through these steps. So I actually worked out 10 different steps. It's just the way it worked out. So the first step is, ask yourself, what is wrong with the property? Or... What can I do to make it work better? The problems the property have are actually two things. They are opportunities to increase the potential income for you to work and solve those problems. And secondly, these are the factors you can use to actually negotiate on the price that you'll have to pay for the property. So don't look at problem buildings and just put them aside. Actually, those are the ones that have the opportunities. And this is much more relevant to older buildings, of course, but it can still be relevant even to modern spaces, or at least modern fit-outs, where things might have been done as well-thought-out spaces as they could have been, and they might have been very bespoke for a particular company at the time, but now as time has moved on, they're restricting future use because there isn't really a company doing that type of thing, or it's very niche. And examples of this might be uh, a building that has a messy layout or too much travel space, there's too many corridors, and not enough lettable space. I'll give an example of that in a minute. Or it might be a building where there is lots of subdivision, which might suit us, but might not always suit modern single occupiers, and that sometimes is a problem. So people don't buy that building or they don't occupy that building because there's just too many walls for them to work their team. And it might be a building that's just too big for these smaller businesses. It might be one that's in between between a company that might want to take it on for five or six or ten staff and somebody who wants to take on a building for a hundred staff. And they tend to have a different requirement, so the building might fall in the gap there. And some of the property might be let, and some of it might be vacant, and it might have been vacant for a long time. And some potential buyers will see that as a problem. Oh, there's a problem here, there's vacant space, there's no income. But some purchasers, including us, would look at that and say, this is great, there's some vacancy there. I've got some income, but equally I've got some vacancy that I can really start adding value to. And other problems could be things like out-of-date heating systems, multiple entrances, poor access, or, or whatever. If you can find solutions to the problems, then you can add value. So ask yourself, what are the problems that others will see and work out if they can actually be your opportunities. So that's the first thing. You're looking for problem buildings. Second step, well, I say the second step, but really this is simultaneously going on while everything else is going on. I try to really find out what the expected vendor's minimum sales price will be. What is the lease they're willing to take, at least right now? This would be through the agent or maybe even the vendor directly. 
but it will take time to get to this figure. The first number is not necessarily the end number. You need to build up rapport with the agent or the vendor to really get to that. And I, I wouldn't ask a million questions straight away, even if you have a bunch. I would use all those questions that you've built up that you might have to ask and just let them go out three or four at a time because then it gives you a reason to reach out to the other side on a regular basis. Dropping an email or a message or a phone call, whatever, just for a few more, just for a few more. It helps build the rapport and develop some kind of relationship. Now, you don't want to piss them off by constantly asking questions, but equally, there is a fine balance there. Shoving all the questions to them right off the bat can make it very difficult and very transactional. You want to try and build a relationship while you're negotiating on this building. The more in-depth the questions are and the longer period of time, the more they get emotionally involved in what you're doing and the more serious you will appear to be because it will give the impression that you are serious and fully studying the project. So once you, your offer negotiation begins, they know you've already fully researched the project. So you're not coming in there and just trying to pull a fast one. Step three, check out the competition for a price comparison and an indication of local demand. So we're talking here about square foot rates and in terms of renting it out, but also purchase rates or selling rates of the actual square foot if you're buying the building. And I covered this a little earlier in podcast 13. You can learn so much from studying the alternative offerings out there from your potential customers, which a lot of that podcast was about. But remember though, while you're doing this, the competition can be a wider set of offerings than you think. For instance, um, if you're looking at self-storage, the other options for potential customers are not just self-storage yards. It could be single-let garages, small industrial units, even people's own spare bedrooms, removal companies, so on and so forth. The list is quite long. It's not straightforward looking at exactly the same mirror image of what you're trying to do. So we need to find out what the square foot price is elsewhere in the area in terms of selling price and the rental income, as I say. And by doing this analysis, you should be able to identify gaps in the market and how much you should be able to charge for your proposed offering. I've mentioned before how the commercial market is made up of lots of layers, which can make it appear a bit more complex. It's certainly three-dimensional. I cover this in, in much more detail with students where we have more time, of course, but trust me, once you understand how the different layers work, it will be easier to identify where those gaps are. And whether that be, here's some of the different layers, whether that be product sector, contract type, is it lease, is it license, how does it work, location, quality of the offer, and ultimately, of course, the price point, as well as location. There's quite a lot of different factors in there that if you identify and can work out where the market is for all those different elements, you can start to identify where there's gaps. So the fourth thing is, can I increase the rental rate above the existing level of the current market? So is the price we're talking about for the target property cheaper than the market? And if not, what can you do to improve the overall price per square foot you can charge? Now, this might be by changing the space from, say, industrial to office or simply improving the quality of the space. It could be by introducing more windows or improving the entrance in communal areas to lift the rate that you can charge per square foot. It could mean that the rate increases from, say, 
just simply £10 a square foot to £13 or £15 a square foot or a lot higher. It might be that the overall offer is improved and one of our favourite ways to improve value for the customer and therefore they might be charged is to put in other services including at least one member of staff who can look after customers on a daily basis and this can really increase the amount customers are willing to pay. So it's about what can you change to the offer to make the square foot rate go up other than where it is right now or at least where the projected amount is right now for the vendor. The fifth thing is, what can I do to increase the net lettable area? So when I'm looking at buildings that have um, a complex layout, I'm trying to work out, can I simplify and add more net space? And it's the same as residential if you think about it. You might not be able to increase the overall area of say a flat or an apartment, but you might be able to change the layout to be more efficient, such as making a two bed flat from a one bed flat. And you might do that by increasing kitchen size to offer a kitchen living space but creating a second bedroom from the remaining original lounge space or living space that was there. The property still has the same overall area but now the rent can be increased because it's two bed instead of one. And it's possible to do the same thing in commercial. One project we bought a few years ago had a particular floor where there were toilets that were on the perimeter so they were taking up window space. There were three sets of stairs and entrances to the floor and masses of travel space or communal space between all these doors and entrances. And we ended up moving the toilet core to the centre of the property where there weren't any windows, which released some valuable window space. And believe it or not, it's quite popular. People do want windows in their workspaces. And we managed to remove a set of stairs and close off two of those access points. And this meant we made an improvement of about 30% of the efficiency of the overall net area on that floor. So even though the gross floor area was still exactly the same, we'd increased the lettable space by 30%. That improvement, if you think about it, doesn't even consider uplift by increasing the quality of the space, it was just increasing the quantity of lettable space. And that's really important. If you can find buildings that have those issues and they're measured on the net space and you can increase that net space without necessarily building anything new, then that's a great way of adding value. So other things just to, to ask yourself related to this are things like window layout. Could you add windows? Toilet core, where is it? Corridor access. And that's related to fire and, and keeping travel space down to the least amount you can to increase lettable area. Where are the services, tea points, the toilet locations themselves, the external access? Is there more than one? So you can um, perhaps reduce that if you need to. Is there land with the building, of course? Is there dead space? There can be lots of opportunities with those sorts of things. And I will cover that in another podcast at another time because there are important space design and customer experience things that you need to consider for optimising your net lettable area. But moving on to step six, what are the operational costs going to be? So if this project is looking like it's worth investigating further, then let's look at what the day-to-day -day operational costs might add up to and assess how they would stand up against the potential income we could generate. This was covered in episode 15. There's lots of things listed in that episode that you can have a look at. They're geared up towards a fully service model. So more than sort of a standard leased offering. If you have a listen to that one, 
and look at all those different costs. If you are getting serious about a building, so we're really pinning down every single cost that you might have. It's also really important if you're trying to buy an existing multi-let building or one with a separate service charge, so it might not be multi-let in a CMO kind of offering, it's really important to get hold of the profit and loss from the vendor. And if not, at least the um, spending. What, what is the spreadsheet with the spending that they have? Because there might be ways there that you can improve the P&L without even touching the building. So, for example, you might just be able to simply change suppliers. It may be they've had a historical supplier for 15 years of telecoms or something. And you know telecoms prices have changed in the last six minutes, let alone the last 15 years. So there might be ways of improving the P&L. So step seven is the redevelopment costs. So we're, now we're getting serious about this building. And in episode 17, I talk about this particular step. It's important to budget what your costs are going to be, of course, so that you can work out the potential return. But do remember every project's different, so it will vary. But once you've worked out the customer offer, what it is you're, you're going to provide the market, what improvements you can make and the potential income it will generate and you take away those operational costs, then you'll work out the overall amount you're willing to pay to get a target return on investment. So basically, you've worked out what the income potential should be, you've taken away the operational costs, now you have a net income. And you can apply multiple to that to work out what you're willing to pay or what you think the building's worth to you. And of course, you need to work out the redevelopment costs and the costs of the acquisition, and then you will have the target price left over. So it's really working out much more in depth what that price is for you. So now I'm moving on to step eight, right? So we haven't actually spent any money yet, right? And at this point is when we might get an offer in. And this isn't the chat you've been having, because you might have had some chat beforehand, of course, but this is when it gets official. You need to do it through a lawyer. Don't do it by email or by phone or verbally through the agent. You need to get a lawyer to put that offer in. And you should be able to get a lawyer who will submit offers for you and not charge you for them on the proviso that they'll get the work should you be successful. Now, once you've done all of this work, then you have the basis for explaining what the building is worth to you and the reasons for your offer levels. You've gone through all this stuff already. You haven't spent any money or had any surveys yet but you've done a lot of assessment, shall we say, analysis of the deal, and you're able to give the vendor, through your lawyer or through the agent, why you're pricing it at this level. Now, if you manage to get to an agreement at that stage, that's when a heads of terms are then drawn up, usually by the vendor's agent, which is non-committing, but it establishes the principles of the deals, things such as price, entry date, that sort of thing, maybe about deposits and stuff like that. Then you move on to step nine. This is when you might have to put your hand in your pocket and start paying fees. Only now do I look to pay for a survey if I have a potential lender who needs a survey done and I will let them instruct the survey. If I need to pay an engineer or a heating engineer, then this is when I would start to do that sort of stuff. And anything that comes back negative can be used to negotiate further on the price, of course, if it was unforeseen. And yes, you can do that at this point. The heads of terms was not legally binding. It might be at this point you start involving an architect or a planning consultant if you're having to change any use in this building. And it might be that your offer was subject to that. Now you also get your lawyer to view the title plan and the deeds and start to pay for legal stuff.
There could still be something that might come up and blow the deal out of the water, of course, but at least you've narrowed down the risk by doing a lot of the analysis yourself up front, and only now are you starting to pay out. Because, as I say, the deal may still not happen, of course. But then the last step, step 10. Find the money and get the deal done. So, find a good deal and you should find the money, they say. Well, you have to lay some groundwork first. Once you've established an angel or traditional broker network, then you might be able to find the money. But it's a bit chicken and egg. You can't just go and find deals and then go out and start finding money. You need to kind of do these things together. You need to be trying to find different ways to access cash before this deal ever came along. It's one of those things you need to be running in parallel to this process. Get the deal details out there and work towards closing this deal. Just remember you're not committed until your lawyer has legally committed you. And in Scotland it's signing the missives. You may have different legal structures whichever part of the world you're in. But you need to check when is the point of no return. Because all this stuff can happen before then. Now I hope that helps. And of course once you reach step 10, only then does the real fun begin. But that is a whole other set of topics. For now, let's just summarise those steps really quickly. The first one was, ask yourself, what's wrong with the property? What can I do to make it work better? That's really looking for the opportunities. Step two is establish the vendor's current acceptable price point. In other words, where do they think they're going to get this building offloaded? What price do they think it's going to be? You know that might have to shift, and you know it might. The third one, check out the competition for a price comparison and an indication of local demand. So you can identify price per square foot for letting, price per square foot for selling, and an indication of what people might actually be willing to pay money for in terms of rental. So you're trying to work out where the demand is. But as I say, there's a previous episode about that. Step four, can I increase the rental rate above the existing or the current market level? So now you're looking at these these next three are all about how can I improve what's going on. Can you increase the rental rate above the existing or current market level by adding in something, by adding in services, by adding in quality? The fifth one was what can I do to increase the net lettable area? So now you're looking at improving the efficiency of the layout. Can I take away some corridors? Can I move some toilets? Can I improve the window area? What can I do to increase the net lettable area, even though the building will still be the same size? And often older buildings have lots of dead space that you can re-energise with a bit of careful design layout. The sixth one was, what are the operational costs going to be? And what can I do to lower existing costs? So there's an opportunity in there in the existing costs, but equally just being a bit cautious as to what is this thing actually going to cost to run? What is it then going to cost to redevelop? So this is the step seven. And then once you've done that, you can start to work out what really this building is worth to you. Are you willing to accept a 10% return on investment? This is on the overall cost, by the way, not the money you put in yourself. Are you only willing to accept 15%, 20%, 25%? It is possible. Believe me, it is actually possible to get buildings at 25 or even 30% return on investment. The eighth step, make the offer, make it legal through a lawyer and agree the heads of terms with the agents. Then we can start paying some fees, which is step nine. And that's starting to engage lawyers, possibly some surveyors, to look at the finer details of this deal. 
And then step 10, once you've gone through those finer details, is perhaps renegotiating slightly on whatever the figure was, find the money and get the deal done. So I hope you found this of use or feel that it could help some others. Then please do share the podcast or leave us a review on the platform you use. You see, the more people we get in front of, the bigger the network will become for all of us. I'm in this to learn more too, and I want to meet others in this great marketplace. So go and reach out and share the podcast on your socials, please. We have some great guests and topics lined up for future shows. So remember to get subscribed to ensure you don't miss out. This is going to be a fantastic year for commercial investment opportunities. So stay tuned as we share lots of ideas, tips and insight throughout the course of this year. If you can't wait for the next episode, then jump on the Facebook group right now and meet up with lots of other investors who are making that change from purely residential investing to commercial property investing too. Look for all the W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. Click on the group button and I'll see you in there. Thanks for listening and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. <laughs>